Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Unheralded News and Pharisee Watch, we're going to introduce a new term into the dictionary. It's Zionese. I don't think it's been around. I'm not familiar with it. This is a term that is being introduced tonight by Chuck Carlson. And we're going to have Leslie read this piece entitled Operation Cast Lead. It's Zionese for Burning Humans. Sounds pretty provocative. Leslie? Operation Cast Lead. It's Zionese for Burning Humans by Charles E. Carlson. Zionese is an unofficial spoken language of the Israel state. It is also spoken in many Judeo-Christian and Messianic churches in America. What is in a name? Let's look deeper. One need not be Jewish to speak Zionese, but most Israelis learn and use it. The first cab driver I rode with in Israel pointedly called the Philistines, quote, animals, unquote, in the course of polite conversation, that is, Zionese. He was helping to keep me away from Palestinians while in Israel. Quote, they will kill you there, unquote, he told me when he learned I was going into Gaza. More Zionese. Today, a large minority of church leaders speak Zionese without knowing in their associations. Ambassador Michael B. Oren, born Michael Scott Bornstein in 1955, is an American-born Israeli historian, author, and the Israeli ambassador to the United States, according to Wikipedia. He appeared on a CBS 60 Minutes segment and was interviewed by Bob Simon. He was an obvious pro-Israel rebuttal to a drama about the Israel's occupation of every phase of a Christian Arab's life in Palestine. Israel's Michael Oren challenged veteran newsmaker Bob Simon over a revealing production, The Dwindling Population of the Palestinian Christians in the Holy Land, on 60 Minutes. Oren defended Israel's occupation, saying... Palestinians' misery is the result of their own radical Islamists, not Israel. He went on to say Israel is only defending itself. Finally, he complained that Simon's approach was, quote, anti-Semitic, unquote. Always the Israelis, never the Palestinians, are the victims. Zionese is not a language of letter, syllable, and punctuation. It is the delivery of a few so-called truths that must be learned to be repeated forcefully without any reservation. The trick is in the delivery. Zionese is the art of telling a story that most will reject and repeating it so long as someone believes it. The teller must not worry about being thought a liar by most so long as there are listeners who might believe it. Thus, Zionese, and it can be spoken in any language. Other common Zionese statements 
that Oren did not use, quote, our warfare is humane, unquote. Quote, they hit us first, usually a rock with a rocket, unquote. Quote, they are animals, unquote. And, quote, we Israelis are Holocaust survivors, unquote. Bob Simon is a Jewish person who did and may hold a double passport in Israel. Simon understands Zionese, but he does not speak it, nor does he seem to believe it. We should all do the same, for Simon had no problem putting the squirming Oren in his place. Oren was part of the original film first interviewed in rebuttal of several Christian Arab families. The State of Israel must have known through Oren that they were about to be stung for Ambassador Oren's superiors in Israel went over Bob Simon's head to CBS Business Management and tried to get the dwindling population segment spiked before it was shown, even though Oren appeared in it. This happens all the time with programs and speakers. I have been spiked twice so far, but getting Bob Simon's work spiked is something else. Simon stated that Oren's bosses in Israel are very nervous right now about Christians learning too much about the Israel visitors are rarely allowed to see. Bob Simon reveals a bit of what millions of Christians never see in Palestine. Literally, millions of churchmen travel there every year and few feel the glimmer of truth that the dwindling population segment revealed because they use Zionist tour leaders, companies, and guides. All of these people speak Zionese. The film poked a tiny pinhole in Israel's balloon, and Oren went on the Zionese attack. For whatever reason, the CBS management did not yield to Israeli pressure and did not pull the program. Instead, they put Simon and Oren back together, and the result was a prologue to the film that exposed, perhaps for the first time on prime time, how Israeli pressure on the news works. Simon challenged Oren before tens of millions for trying to force his bosses to squelch the show. Zionese is not gentle in warfare as Oren would have us believe, but it is mean beyond imagination. It paints all Arabs as inferior, even Jewish Arabs. It is a language of racist superiority, and it is no stretch to say Brutality, yes, brutality to human, quote, animals, unquote, is okay in Zionese. I have for a long time wondered why Israel chose the name Operation Cast Lead for its less-than-30-day Christmas war on Gaza in 2008. A war name is usually mean, warlike, and very forceful. Why cash lead for a war? It has bothered me that I could not find out. Wikipedia does not explain it, and neither does the Israeli Defense Force website. 
We Americans know why our own war outing are given vicious fighting names, Desert Storm, Shock, and Awe. These are pretty clear. And I have never heard a war called Operation Powder Puff or Project Pussycat. Warriors want war names. It turns out that an old friend unraveled this puzzle eight years before Operation Cast Lead. Caesar Aharon, a Jewish convert to Christianity and a scholar, told me about how molten lead is a prescribed method of killing Gentiles referred to as burning. It is described in detail in the Talmud. There are four ways to kill a mortal enemy, each quite gruesome. Burning lead consists of tying the victim in a pit full of human excrement, pulling open his jaws with forceps, and pouring molten lead down your enemy's throat to his bowels. Is that not what Israel did to the people of Gaza at Christmas 2008? When Israel's military actions ended on January 18th, some 1,400 Palestinians had been killed. Among the dead were hundreds of unarmed civilians, including some 300 children. Burning was the most common cause of death. Of course, there must be a Zionist answer for the meaning of Operation Cast Lead. Here it is. The army was really making toys and celebrating Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, or the Festival of Lights. The Rabbi Alyssa Wise gives Israel's version, named after a little holiday ditty about a toy maker who cast little children toys out of lead at Hanukkah. Try believing that one. Operation Cast Lead is more Zionese. Let's do what Bob Simon did, squelch it in the bud before our pastors and our own kids start speaking it. Thank you. Chuck, that was an excellent piece, and we hope this word gets spread far and wide and people understand the implications of this. This piece by 60 Minutes is really major. It actually follows on a piece that was done in 2009, three years ago, that Bob Simon did, which was very revealing. It was about the settlements and settlers and it included documentation on the wall, the separation wall, or what we like to call, refer to as the apartheid wall, how it snakes through the Palestinian territory. Many people think that it's on the green line, the line dividing Palestine from Israel when Israel took over the West Bank and Gaza in the 1967 war but it actually, for the most part, is inside Palestine, and it divides Palestinian lands from other Palestinian lands, Palestinian peoples from their own land, from their neighbors. It's, it goes through very torturous fashion. Now, this latest piece, The Dwindling Christians, didn't actually go into a lot of detail, but one poignant item that really graphically showed was the story about a Christian Palestinian family and their home that is surrounded on three sides by this wall. This is in the Bethlehem area. 
that scene really struck me too because the wall is so tall that this two-story house had to look up at the top of the wall. It's right. higher than considerably higher than the than the roof of this two-story house, and uh, they had scenes of the children looking out of their bedroom window right into the guard tower where the Israelis sometimes stationed people with guns and basically could look right into their house. Yeah, so I had read about this some time ago, I think, in Haritz or one of the other publications, and they made the comment that the three sides that had windows faced this wall. And the front, where there were no windows, they had a business where they sold souvenirs and so forth. And the street had become deserted. So they basically killed their business. They were interviewed and said they were planning to stay there, to continue to stay there. But this pressure goes on all the time in the drive to force the Palestinians, whether they're Christians or Muslims, off their property. I just read about two Knesset members sitting on the couch of a Palestinian family that was booted out in a neighborhood in in Palestine being taken over by settlers. Eight settlers were going to live in this house that they confiscated from the Palestinians. So this kind of thing is going on. So this this really is an important piece that gives people the other part of the story. And then the other part of this we want to talk about, Chuck, is this concept of Zionese being spoken in our churches, the Messianic churches. Would you like to comment on that? We have a, an, a question. You were on a talk show, and we have a comment from a lady and a question pertaining to this exact thing about what we now call Zionese or the practice yeah. of Messianic Christianity. Uh. Yeah, we were talking about Michael Oren's uh, Israeli Zionese, but we also have American Messianic Christian Zionese and so on. And this lady happened to call in at the end of a program where I was being interviewed as a, a regular Friday night thing. I might mention it's on the Robbie Noel show, so people can watch it there if they want. We usually spend most of the session talking about some phase of Christian Zionism, and this very distraught, very upset lady called in and said that she'd been listening to our programs and realized her church had been affected by this. Uh, and I guess we could play that. But before I do that, Tom, be sure and tell everyone where they can go to listen to the CBS special and uh, also the follow-up interview between Michael Oren and Simon. Michael Oren actually exposed the fact that he had been a party to try to kill this program that the mighty CBS had made. That's that's pretty big. That's a pretty yeah. big enemy to go after. Right. Well, we've posted on our website whtt.org, or you can Google the uh, using your search engine 60 Minutes and put in dwindling population of the Palestinian Christians. We've actually got the video we've embedded on our website, so you can actually go over there. But I've noticed it's popping up in other places, so we're wanting this, of course, to go far and wide, and our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ need to see this to get their eyes open to the reality of what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Palestine. One of the things that the ambassador was trying to 
say was that the problems were caused by the Muslims against the Palestinian Christians. And the response was, as expected, there was no problem with the the Muslims. Certainly there are probably radicals that, that don't like it, but on the overall, that's not the problem. The occupation is non-discriminatory towards either Muslims or Christians. It's an equal opportunity occupation, you might say, probably the best way to describe it. I'll play this question from the lady. Yes, uh, it's it's Barb from uh, Barb. Worth, Florida. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay thanks. Paulson. Uh, yeah, um, I was listening to your program from last week on the archives, and it really hit me. Uh, our church has been taken over by the Messianic Jews. On Friday, they have a Shabbat service, and Easter Day, they had some kind of little procession where they put the Star of David on some kind of pillow or something, and then, you know, marched out in a little ceremony with the Star of David. And our pastor thinks that the Star of David is the two inverted triangles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Body, Mind, and Spirit. Uh, what do you have to say about that, Pastor? That's a new one on me, and I'm not a pastor. But, oh, I'm but, sorry. But, but, but it's okay to call me pastor because you don't have to be much to be a pastor these days. I really appreciate your call. I hadn't heard this strange Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and then what are the other three? Uh, body, mind, and spirit. Body, mind, and spirit. This is typical of the inventions of the messianics. They'll come up with anything. Six points for the star. Well, Chuck, would you like to comment on that further? Her, her, yeah, we would have had a good conversation, but it just happened to come right at the end of the program. So we didn't we didn't have time to ask this lady about the type of church she's in or what. But but the way we generally, what I would have asked her, and what what I encourage our listeners to ask if you if you have a situation like this, ask if their church believes that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And uh, generally, you'll find that it is, and these these things would only take place in that kind of a church. You, you almost don't have to ask when you hear a story like that. I had another recent call from a person who sent me a real critical letter, and it was something that I had said about the Palestinians that he didn't believe. And he'd been uh, been basically taught that the Palestinians were causing most of their own problems, and he'd sort of accepted that. But after about five or ten minutes of discussion, and uh, without even seeing a film or anything, he just said, well, thank you for telling me. I wish I'd have known. Now I understand. So it I asked him the same question, what kind of a church do you go to? And his church doesn't believe that the state of Israel is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Therefore, when he's presented with the, with practical facts and he thinks it's a believable person, he, be, he believed me basically, uh, he thought I was telling the truth, he then is changed by that. But if you're in the Christian Zionist church, the Messianic church, no matter how credible you may think you are or that they even that they think you are, they're still not going to believe you because they've been conditioned to the idea that this is a religious belief. They can't give that up. And Israel has, has had this religious role in their lives. So it turned out that the latter guy was from a Church of Christ. And the Church of Christ is a conservative church that has no part of mixing symbolisms together. Now this brings me to this point. What's really happening here? is the foot-in-the-door technique with the Messianic Church, is they, they they get people to accept very easy and friendly little customs. 
And Jesus talked about these customs uh, as being the traditions of the elders. And the traditions of the elders, of course, were later, there were thousands of them, of these rules, 600 of these rules, I think, at the time. But uh, the the religious Jews, uh, the Pharisees, memorized these rules. Jesus said, forget all that. You're not subject to that anymore. And uh, later, these rules were codified in a thing called the Babylonian Talmud. And then it was later a Jerusalem Talmud as well. And that was discussed in the earlier broadcast. So they're bringing Talmudic rules right into the, the Messianic Church. A Shabbat service is a, is a kind of a prayer service, I guess, but it's basically defined by the Talmud. That's where they have the record of how you're supposed to do this. The Passover service, again, it's nothing wrong with it. It's celebrating something that happened to Moses, that was thought to happen to Moses anyway, and it's embellished a lot in Jewish tradition, but the problem is that it's mixing Moses' traditions in with Jesus' Last Supper. And this, of course, eventually ends up being uh, Moses is sitting on the throne and we don't know where Jesus might be. So this is not the, the age we're in. We're in the New, new Covenant. And uh, this goes on and on with other ceremonies like the Seder ceremony, which is the same as Passover, and then the Purim, which is a bloody affair that Israelis claim to celebrate. And Paul warned us to stay away from all this way back in the time he was on earth. You find it in the 15th chapter of uh, the book of Acts. Just remember 15 in the book of Acts. And go there and look, and all it is is a big debate among these new Christians who had formerly been Israelites and had been exposed to all these thousands of traditions, and they were nagging Paul and trying to get Paul to accept some of these traditions in his church and he was fighting back and saying, no, 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 the last thing Jesus said was, we have to leave that behind. So the Messianic Church is not leaving it behind. They're busy dragging it right up and pushing it right down the aisle. In the in the case of Barb, the Star of David riding on a cushion, uh, riding down the, it, it, with a walk down the aisle on Easter Sunday. I can't think of anything that would be worse since the Jews of today really do believe they were there and help crucify Jesus. So I can't think of anything worse than celebrating the Star of David going down the church on, on Easter Sunday. Well said, Chuck. The thing that comes to mind is when you mention all these trappings that they're adding to the services, these Judaizing type of effects, it is making Christianity into a religion. And as most people should know about Christianity. It's a relationship with your creator through Jesus Christ. And so that requires following what Jesus taught us, not these man-made traditions that you've pointed out in things like the Talmud. And so it's very hard to unwrap from religious tenets. I mean, one of the stumbling blocks for me our excuses for embracing Christianity was, well, gee, how could they renounce all those dietary laws about eating pork and so forth in the New Testament? And so it's not about eating. I mean, we've gotten freedom from Christ in that area, but as we all know, if we eat the wrong things, we may get to go to heaven sooner. It's not what these man-made types of things 
are making us do that is the problem. It's about uh, not following Jesus and having that relationship with him. Absolutely. I wondered if Leslie had any comments on any of this. I agree with you guys. I think the Jewish encyclopedia was noted to point out that the Jews of today are the Jews that Jesus confronted in his day. It seems ironic that the Jews of today and the Judeo-Christians would promote the very thing that Jesus did not endorse while he was here, especially at Easter and especially on Good Friday. Well, I guess that just shows the the human frailty. I mean, we all have, we're all short-sighted. That's why there's so many different varieties of Christianity that is all over the map. But it is based around Jesus, and that's where our focus needs to be. Just got one comment on Leslie's statement, which is so right. What Messianic Christianity does is it gently mixes in these old customs and tells you that these are really similar, and therefore you can do this. And, of course, that tends to... And, and, the, and the argument, of course, is, well, Jesus took Passover. Well, Passover was a celebration that Jesus went to all the time, and uh, he went to all the celebrations, in fact, and they also went to the temple where they slaughtered animals and sacrificed them and poured the blood on the altars. But that didn't mean that Jesus was leaving us that tradition, it only means that he went there on, on, for, on business. It was all business with Jesus. And uh, the spirits, uh, these, these celebrations when he went to them, were uh, really a place where he met his fellow men. And some of us meet our fellow men in our churches pretty much the same way. Some of us are disappointed with our churches, but we continue to go because we need these places to interact with people. And so we're more tolerant of our church than we really ought to be. Uh, or that, or maybe we should be more tolerant. I'm not sure, Tom. Tom, you're the most tolerant. But uh, don't be deceived by the idea that because Jesus attended Passover or mentioned Passover services, he never mentioned what went on in them. He never talked about them, preached about them, quoted anything from a Passover service. Not one word. It's just that he that they that they had a custom of going to these things, and he followed those customs during his earthly life. And uh, but we have we have Christians that are always saying, well, you are really wrong about Passover because Jesus observed that, so we should observe it too. Well, and the other thing too, of course, most Christians believe that there was an old covenant that brought forth through Abraham the lineage to give us Jesus Christ, and then Jesus Christ is the new covenant. So there are two different aspects, and then what's happening, of course, is they want to link these all together. And as you've said previously, Chuck, we need to filter the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. You've got just the opposite, where you've got many of these Christian Zionists that want to filter the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament, and it doesn't wash. So this is what these observances like the satyrs and so forth are that reversal of what we should be focusing on. It reminds me of Jesus' parable about uh, trying to put an old patch of on a, on a new garment, and it just tears when you do that. Right, exactly. Or putting new wine in old wineskins. Yes, okay. Well, I hope you found this program interesting tonight, folks. We'd love to hear from you, whether you liked it or not. But if you 
like the idea, spread the word Zionese around. Maybe it'll get people to ask questions. But you do, for the least part, want to introduce this video by 60 Minutes on the dwindling population of the Palestinian Christians in the Holy Land. It is a must-see, and other Christians need to see this, particularly those that have been to the to the Holy Land that have been blinded by their guides and by the state of Israel. And we thank you for joining in, and good night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast, and please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.